0: I invite you to turn to Second Samuel chapter fifteen. Second Samuel chapter fifteen. And as you're turning to um, that text, the writer of the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, said that uh, God spoke to the prophets uh, through the prophets to our fathers. So whenever we hear God's word read, whenever we read God's word, God is actually talking to us. Excuse me. <coughs> He is speaking to us. His words um, bring life. At the end of this, the reading of this text, uh, it is our custom for the reader to say, "This is the word of God," and then we ask you to say, "Yeah, thanks be to you, God." Now, the reason we ask you to say that, we recognize that God is actually talking to us, and when He finishes talking to us, we offer Him a praise of thanksgiving. So I invite you to listen silently as I read 2 Samuel chapter 15. If you're using the Bible in the pew, it's on page 313. Listen to what God says through the prophet. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, (coughs) Absalom would say to him, excuse me, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then as Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all Israel, who came to the king for judgment of uh, who came to the king for judgment so absalom stole the hearts of the men of israel and at the end of four years absalom said to the king please let me go and pay my vow which i have vowed to the lord in hebron for your servant vowed a vow while i lived in gesher in aram saying if the lord will indeed bring me back to jerusalem Then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom, Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. When Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence... And knew nothing. <clears throat> when Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gileadite, David's counselor, from his city, Gilal, Gilal. And the conspiracy grew, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord um, the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, "'Why do you also go with us?' Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, Wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, "Go then, pass on." So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him, and all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook at Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And he set down the ark of God until the people all had passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, Behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up to the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God is worshipped, Behold, Hushai, the archite, came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to this city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two two sons are with them there, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom... Was entering Jerusalem. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, the most important things we hear and worship uh, are Your words. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking through Your prophet. I pray, O oh God, that You would allow the truth of Your word to uh, to come through, even in this preaching. Father, let me not silence the voice of God, but speak clearly through your word to us. Allow us to see your faithfulness not only in David's life, but also that promised faithfulness in our lives today. Help us, O God, to see only two things from the text, that we would exalt your name and your word. We thank you for trusting us and speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is absolutely right to ask questions when you uh, read God's Word. And so there's a question in this text that I'd like to ask, and it is this there's two. I'll ask one at the beginning and one at the end. Here's the first question Does God's face turn against man when he disciplines him? Does God's face, his face of pleasure, his face of steadfast love and kind and faithfulness, Turn away from his people when they're being disciplined by God? What kind of posture does he hold? I think this text tells us that. I, I can't help but think, um, th- remember the context around which this um, passage stands. It's that context where Nathan said to David that the Lord would discipline him because of his treatment of um, Uriah's um, wife. Listen to what uh, God says in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David uh, Nathan is speaking. He says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of his son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And what we see, particularly in chapter 15 and following, we see God allowing David to live out this discipline. So the question remains, while God is allowing David to go through this discipline, what is his posture? Is is he looking at David and says, yep, you deserve it. You absolutely deserve it. I'm glad you're going through this. Or does he look at David from a different perspective? I, I think the perspective that we will see in the next following chapters is that God is like that father in Luke chapter 15 where his son walked away from uh, him, that uh, unfaithful son, that son who took his inheritance and spent it in riotous living. The father was the one who prayed for him, and the father was the one who was looking for him. And when the son is coming back to the father, the father met him on the road. And the father opened his arms and hugged him. And the father took off the dirty clothes and put on a clean robe and a ring on his finger. And he threw a party and he celebrated and said, this son who was lost is now found. That's the type of God we serve. We'll see that God treats David in much the same way as he treats us when he disciplines us. In verse 20, the steadfast of the Lord is referenced. The last time that phrase was used was in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let me read to you uh, the circumstances around which the steadfast love of the Lord is referenced. Listen to this. When you're, uh, this is on God talking to David he's establishing his covenant with David listen to what he says when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers I will raise up your offspring after you and you shall come who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity and david did i will discipline him with the rod of men and that's what god is doing with the stripes of the son of men (coughs) pardon me but my listen to this but my steadfast love will not depart from him amen as i took it from saul and put away uh, and put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And the opening English words in chapter 15 are two. After this. After this refers to Absalom's campaign to unseat the king. I want you to think with me about the pursuit. The pursuit starts in chapter 15, verse 1. Think about Think with me what Absalom was doing. He's increasing his campaign to unseat the king. And the first hint is found in verse (coughs) 1. Pardon me. Look with me at verse 1. And after this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. That's a subtle hint that Absalom is going after the king. Uh, people who would try to establish themselves as royalty would start with this. They would have chariots and men who would follow them and they would process into the city, process into the towns. And people would understand, and that is uh, one of the declarations of uh, the ascent to the throne. The second thing, uh, the second two things, which are really interesting to me, As you look at the following verses, you'll you'll read these words. He gathered where people came to do business and suggested that the king was not available to hear the case, but that if he were in charge, things would change. He was saying, look, where are you from? And when he realized that they were children of Israel, he said, you know, your your cause is just. And... and, uh, there's no judge here to hear your cause, but if I were appointed judge, uh, I would hear your case. And and he'd say, and I would give you success in your case. And then secondly, uh, people would come up to him and pay homage to him and he would take their hands and he would kiss them. Uh, It's almost as if, you know during the political season when politicians say something like this, my opponent is not taking care of you. But in my administration, I will give you justice. I will work for you. I'll work hard for you. And um, we don't do this much anymore, but the kissing of babies and and hugging and putting our arms around you, it looks like uh, Absalom is doing everything to win the hearts of the people. As a matter of fact, the text tells us that Absalom Stole the hearts of the men. And that word stole, uh, Gavah, uh, Ganav, is a word that also can mean he deceived them. He tricked them into aligning themselves with him. I want you to notice that in the text, Absalom said, I want to pay a vow to the Lord. He used religious terminology. For his advantage. I want you to hold on to that. Because we're going to see something different in David. He used religious terminology. To deceive the people of God. Then something odd happens at verse 14. Look at that with me. Uh, 2 Samuel 15, 14. Then David said to all his servants. Who were with him at Jerusalem. Arise, let us flee. Or else there will be no escape. For us from Absalom, go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. This is odd. Isn't this the same man about whom the Philistines sang, Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? David was a man of war. David was a mighty military man. Why in the world would he stay silent? Why would he flee? As you look at chapter 14 and the first part of chapter 15, there's very little involvement with David. David is primarily silent. And some people say, well, he's silent because uh, he didn't want to uh, lose his son. He already lost Amnon. Because Absalom killed him. He lost his daughter Tamar. Uh, He doesn't want to kill Absalom. He doesn't want to lose another son. That's why his hand's off. And some others will say uh, that David is leaving the city because when he flees, he's closer to God. It's like when he was fleeing from Saul, that he's closer. We we don't know what's going on in in David's life. Right? I caution you, when the Bible is silent about an issue, don't hold tightly on what you think the Bible is saying. Uh, you can be deceived that way. Let me, let me give you an example of this. I can say this. Um, <clears throat> my daughter is not in the service. She was at the 830 uh, service. So I can say this now and not look at her. Uh, my daughter and I love to do something uh, together. We, we love to go to haunted houses. We do that together because it's it's fun laughing together and fun hearing each other. Well, I don't scream that much, but hearing her scream... (laughs) I I shouldn't lie. I do scream. Um, But there was one event where uh, we went to this haunted house in uh, Lake George. And uh, we were inside, and there are two ways you can look at this situation. There's two perspectives, and I'm going to give you mine and just tell you, as I give you mine, my daughter has a different perspective, um, but hers is false. Uh, when we were, we were in the, in the haunted house, um, I, uh, she reminded me, I was in front of her and we were going to go over this walking bridge. And uh, I stepped on the bridge and it was kind of squishy and moving and uh, I was uh, concerned that it wouldn't hold my weight. So what I did, I, I, I wanted to make sure this is my perspective. I wanted to make sure the bridge wouldn't fall under my weight. So I put my daughter in front of me <laughs> and let her go in front of me. And so I was being a gentleman. That, that was my perspective. And we were walking down the bridge and as we were uh, almost over the bridge, this guy came out with this um, uh, chainsaw. He started it up and he was pretending he was going to hurt us now this is where the perspective gets different i i took my daughter and because she was afraid she wouldn't move i took her by her shoulders and i was moving her toward the exit she yeah she thought i was moving her toward the guy but i was moving her toward the exit and i was showing her how to get out of there and i was i was teaching her that a man protects his children her perspective is absolutely different. We can have different perspectives about what happens in the life of David. But I caution you only hold on to what scripture clearly says. And I think what we're going to see here in this scripture, we're going to see David moving back toward God and God in his incredible greatness shows that he had never departed from David, that he is still there. So let's start with these next scenes in the text that shows us that God's presence is still with David. Look at verse 18, starting with verse 18. David does something here that shows that he has a heart um, for God's priorities. Uh, David decides to operate as a king, not out of conventional wisdom, but kingdom principles. It reminds me, as we will hear later on as I look at the cross to my left and your right, it reminds me of the statements that Jesus made on his way to uh, Jerusalem when he told his disciples, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. That God's kingdom has different priorities. And one of the priorities we see in David's life is to love and protect the foreigner, the enemy. Love and protect the enemy. Look at uh, uh, verse 18 again. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 18, it says this. And as as all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who followed him from Gath. Now I'm going to stop there. You remember Gath. Gath was one of the five cities in Philistia, in in the Philistine, Philistine cities. And they were Israel's enemies. When when David was running from Saul, he hid in Gath. And people followed him from Gath. It was these people, these former enemies of God, who wanted to flee with him. And David said to uh, Ittai, the Gittite, he said, "Uh, You've only been here one day. You just got here. Go back to Absalom. Go back where you'll be safe. And listen to what he says. He says, Go back, and the steadfast love and faithfulness of God will be with you. That's amazing. That's one of the first times that this phrase is used uh, in 2 Samuel, since the 7th chapter. This is the 15th chapter. And then David says this to get uh, to a time. God's going to show you steadfast love. God's going to give you his faithfulness. And this is beautiful. When you read the text... Did you hear what Etai uh, said? He said, uh, where you go, I'll go. Whether you go and live, I'll live with you. Whether you go and die, I'll die with you. Does, does those words, do those words sound uh, familiar to you? Remember Ruth when she was with Naomi? And Ruth said, uh, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I'll go. Uh, Naomi left uh, broken and feeling the weight of God on her. And because of Ruth, she realized that God's steadfast love and faithfulness was still there. That God had not forsaken her. I, I want you to hear me, brother and sister. I want you to hear that God's steadfast love and faithfulness never departs from you. It may seem like it at times. The circumstances may make it feel like God is elsewhere. But just like he told David, through Ittai, God's steadfast love and faithfulness remains. And I think that David got it. Look at uh, David's, the peace that followed David. Uh, David's heart is moving toward God. Look with uh, me at verse 25. Then the king said to Zadok, Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. For if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back. But if, And let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems right for him to do. That's an amazing statement. You know what David did? He did the right thing even without the guarantee of God's protection and favor. He did it because it's right. I want you to notice the difference between Absalom and David. Absalom, I have a vow that I made before God. I want to go and perform my vow. And he used that circumstance to deceive people because he told people as soon as you uh, hear the trumpet sound, say, Absalom is king in Hebron. You'll remember that Hebron was the first place that David was anointed king. And he said, "Uh, I want you to, to proclaim it loudly. He was using a religious event for his own purpose. David was presented with the Ark of God. The Ark of the Covenant of God was powerful. It was undisputed at this time in Israel's history. And David could have looked and said, now... I can be protected. If I stay with the ark of God, Absalom will have no power over me. I can use this, and that's where the problem is. He goes, I could have used this for my purpose. But David instead said, take the ark back to where it belongs. And and God will do with me whatever he wills. Uh, If he wants me back as king, he will protect me, and he'll bring me back and it will bring me back to Jerusalem. Whether he does it or not, honor the ark. And may I just insert something that's not in the text and just as a, a, a reminder to all of us, when we're faced with making decisions that were either honor God or protect ourselves, would we be like David and honor God regardless of whatever the impact may be in our lives. That what is more important to us is the honor of God's kingdom. Uh, The Mount of Olives is referenced in the last section, verses 30 through 37. But David, at the beginning of verse 30, that but is a significant but. It's signifying something significant that's going to happen. And let me tell you what it is. David is going up to the Mount of Olives. This is the first time the Mount of Olives is referenced in the Old Testament. In a few weeks, in the next two weeks, we'll hear a lot about the Mount of Olives. We'll hear about events that centered around the Mount of Olives, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is referenced there. Jesus teaching his disciples about the end times, occur uh, near the Mount of Olives or on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus' arrest is around the Mount of Olives. And Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane, all around the Mount of Olives. Israel's history. In Israel's history, the Mount of Olives was a significant place. Even in our text, it tells us this is a place where God is worshipped. Something significant happened. Um, While David is on the Mount of Olives and he's weeping, And he's mourning. Uh, Someone comes in and they say, Ahithophel uh, has joined with Absalom. Now, Ahithophel was Bathsheba's Bathsheba's grandfather. I want to shout out to my Bible study brothers. Uh, We were uh, were studying this text and uh, they told me this. And I didn't know it, but shout out. One of my brothers is over there, so way to go, man. Oh. Uh, Ahithophel not only was Bathsheba's grandfather, he was the most successful advisor. This was a hit to David, that a trusted friend would betray him. Did you notice what David did the first thing when he heard about Ahithophel's betrayal? He went to the Lord in prayer. He prayed, and this is what he prayed. Dear God, turn Ahithophel's prayer in, uh, counsel into foolishness. And as he's praying, um, this guy walks up, Hushai, he has dirt on his head and his robe is torn and it's almost as if the rain is coming down and the thunder is rolling while he's praying. <clears throat> and then, all, ooh, that happened. That was, that was, God, is <laughs> so good. Wow, I didn't even time that. Boy, God, is great. Um, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, when Hushai gets here, the sun comes out the birds are singing because who shy is the answer to David's prayer. Don't miss this. God is showing David even in the midst of his difficulty that he has not forsaken David. And it brings me to my last question. Why didn't the Holy Spirit depart from David as he departed from Saul? Now, as I look at the clock, we're getting close to lunch, and I don't want to go too far into lunch, so if if you would give me one minute, if you'd raise your hand and give me one minute, uh, okay, that's one minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five, six minutes, keep it up. Okay, I got six minutes. Thank you very much. Why didn't the Holy Spirit depart from David the way that he left Saul? I think there are two reasons. The first reason is this. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, God said this. He was looking for a man after his heart, after his own heart. That God sought for David. Now let me just share with you, in all humility, I want you to know, I, I don't think God meant that when David was the man after his own heart, I don't think that God meant that David's heart was like God's heart that David was perfect. David was a sinner. Uh, he, he failed in his allegiance to God many times. We've talked a whole lot about that. What I think this means is that David's heart was drawn to God. David's heart was moved toward God. And I think we see this in this text, that God desired a king whose heart was moved toward his heart. And secondly, I think the reason that God's spirit stayed with David is God made a covenant with David. He didn't make a covenant with Saul. He made a covenant with David. And here's the principle. What God starts, he finishes. What God begins, he completes. David spent many times being unfaithful before the Lord, but that did not change God's mind. God did not treat David according to the way that David treated God. God's faithfulness would not be stopped. And as we look, and as we look at uh, 2 Samuel 15, 16, 17, and 18, we will see and on and on, we will see God's hand faithfully in David's life. I love the way this chapter ends. Look at the last verse, verse 37. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. It is a wonderful story, a wonderful drama. It's like this. David's friend, uh, Ahithophel, is going with Absalom and David's new ally, Hushai, who would fight for him. He enters Jerusalem just as Absalom enters and it's almost as if uh, God says, stay tuned to see what happens next. Now, uh, chapter 16 is a stay tuned. You're going to have to wait two weeks before we get to that unless you read ahead. But if you do read ahead, you will notice that God completes what he starts. And as we look at David's life, we can say amen and hallelujah, and we thank God for that. But I, re- I want to remind you that God still finishes what he starts. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.6 said this, and I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What God has begun in your life, he will bring it to pass. God's faithfulness, his steadfast love and faithfulness will not be stopped. Amen. Shall we pray? Almighty God, God and loving Father, thank you for this glimpse into the life of David. We praise you for being a God who keeps his covenant. You were faithful to David even when he was unfaithful to you. You are faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to you. As we think about your faithfulness and love for us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Even as we sing this last song, when I survey the wondrous cross, let us delight in the love of God. Even as we say, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowed, mingled down. Dear, did e'er such love, And sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. Oh God, we thank you that we dwell safely today because the love of God dwells upon us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand as we close by singing hymn number 252, all stanzas of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.